This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to Primal Screen, a show and podcast all about screen culture from movies on the big screen to whatever it is that you're streaming. We're broadcasting tonight from the Triple R Studios on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation. This is and always will be Aboriginal land. I'm your host, Flick Ford, and I'm joined tonight by film reviewer and recent attendee at the Sydney Film Festival... It's Stephen A. Russell. Hey, Stephen. Always a pleasure to pop, and it's been far too long. <laughs> it's been ages. Uh, and we're going to chat later about some of your picks from the festival, so which I'm good. excited about. Yeah. So good. <laughs> Are you recovered yet? Uh, just about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit of a shell of myself last week. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're looking fresh tonight. Uh, and back on the airwaves, uh, it's film academic and co-programmer of Cinemaniacs, Sally Christie. Hi, Flick. It's been a hot minute, and now it feels like I never left. We used to be. <laughs> Here together every week. I know, and through what, however many lockdowns we did. Yeah, however many. Seven hundred and nine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm back, and it feels nice to be back in the studio. Well, tonight's show it's turned into kind of something of a spotlight and a celebration of queer cinema, both locally and internationally. Uh, we're going to start by chatting with two of the curators, Sam Eckhart and Ginny Maxwell of Gay24, a screening series highlighting rare, radical and underseen queer films at Longplay in Fitzroy North. And later, Stephen, Sal and I will review All the Beauty in the Bloodshed, a documentary by award-winning director Laura Poitras about artist and activist Nan Golding and her personal fight to hold the Sackler family accountable for um, the opioid crisis. Uh, It is currently in cinemas, but we'll be streaming on DocPlay and we'll also share some recommendations of queer films and TV shows for folks to check out. So, uh, earlier this month, Gay24, a queer film uh, screening series, started their third season at Longplay, and the second program from the, for this season is just around the corner. Uh, I'm now joined here in the studio tonight by the co-organisers of Gay24, uh, Sam Eckhart and Jeannie Maxwell. Welcome to Primal Screen. Hello. Thanks Thank so much so for, much having, for us. having us. Oh, it is my absolute pleasure. I've been lurking in your uh, your follow followers <laughs> for for a long time. Um, I'm very impressed with what you put out, um, and I think that that combination of not just a, you're not just curating these films, you're also providing just really detailed introductions. Um, I think that is necessary when you're dealing with such uh, diverse content and also such significant content. Um, so on Thursday, the sixth of July. You'll be delivering the second program for your third season and we'll talk in a moment about the films that you've selected. But I was really captivated by the prompt at the start of your announcement for this series. You ask, who are we talking about when we talk about the queer community? And you go on to say that to be in a community with someone requires not just intimacy but responsibility. And I, I really love that statement. I think it, it speaks so much to what we're focused on tonight but specifically what you do with Gay24. Um, how does that duality of intimacy and responsibility play out in Gay24? I mean, that's a huge question to start with. <laughs> um, Sorry, Jeannie. <laughs> but... Uh, 
an exciting one too. Uh, for me, I think they're really inextricable from our approach to curation. Um, we started this, I mean, we sort of started this night uh, accidentally because we love <laughs> movies yeah. and we wanted to watch um, particularly like rarer and archival films and we wanted a space to do that. Um, but and, and specifically watching them um, with, with community, mm. which I think is just really does fundamentally change the experience of watching films in which you see yourself reflected. Mm. Um, I think that there is, obviously there's so much intimacy uh, with that and as a part of that. And I think that, that watching, watching films in which you can, yeah, like kind of like learn more about yourself and your history and where you come from it and kind of like all of these things whilst surrounded by people who are also having the same experience with you is just like such a moving and like fundamentally important experience mm. to have. Like, it's just like, so using these, these kind of this, what we've got to its best possible potential. Mm. You know something, I mean? something we've talked about a lot um, that I think we've both realized as gay 24 continued is that it's a very grounding experience, uh, kind of having that regular uh, exposure and connection to the history of queerness and transness mm. and queer and trans self-representation on screen and the kind of double intimacy of experiencing that around other queer and trans mm -hmm. people, I think makes it a lot easier to feel, uh, I suppose, understanding your own history makes it a lot easier to imagine your future and to make sense of your present. I think. That's a beautiful way to capture that, Jeannie. Yeah. I think that oh, it's so interesting that you've selected... I mean, you're obviously both film lovers. You've got tremendous film knowledge <laughs> by looking through the, the screening series. But but kind of that idea of, of creating like a um, safe space gets sort of maybe overused. But I think that sitting with community, mm -hmm. as you said, Sam, like that's such a lovely idea and such an important thing. I speak to so many friends who are coming to terms, either starting uh, coming out, who are at different stages of their journey and having that as a point of call, especially if you move to a new city, but just being able to sit in that space to understand some of the history because... Queer is a very different term to saying, you know, I'm gay, I'm lesbian. Queer has a really political past as well, like the, the very term. So it's, it's something more than just your sexuality. Yeah, I think um, I don't at all object to Gay24 being described as a safe space, but I think from the very beginning it's always been a complex space mm. as yeah. well. And our curation, I suppose that's where the responsibility part of it comes in. Absolutely. Um, it's yeah. really important to us that it's a space that can hold complex histories, complex identities, and sometimes, you know, ideas or frames uh, within queerness that are in tension with each other. Totally. Mm -hmm. That messiness is such a, such a, for me, such a fundamental part of the queer experience, right? Like like some of my favorite times, obviously like watching the films and, and being in the room with people is so beautiful, but some of the conversations you have afterwards where like, you're kind of like picking apart these, <laughs> especially, you know, we're watching films that are, that are, that are mostly quite a bit, uh, mostly. Yeah. I'd say mostly like kind of like made in the past, made in very different political climates, mm. made by people that have a very different, you know, different people using different language, having different mm. understandings of, of their identity and then we're trying to kind of like 
find a through line into now and, 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 and use that as a way to feel kind of lineage and, and, and connection to that and, and not feel alone. But, but within that kind of, you know, there's also a tension there, right? Because, yeah, it's because it's complicated and that's yeah, like the best thing about it, right? It's like <laughs> it's messy. It's like chewy. It's like you can kind of like really <laughs> sit with it and, and, and pick apart the things and pick out the things that you like and kind of like look at the things that maybe make you think and, and have conversations. I mean, I think it's interesting, uh, like going back to the early days of Gay 24, I remember one of the very first films that I wanted to show and that I specifically wanted to show you was mm-hmm. Tomboy mm-hmm. by Celine Sciamma, which is one of my favourite films, but uh, not a film that I think is perfect by any means. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I was keen to show it is because I think it's fraught. Yeah. And I wanted to know what you totally thought. Yeah. And then I've, I've now uh, we're yeah, we're in the process of like putting together like a, like a little like zine thing. And I'm oh, like really? writing this like huge essay yeah. about <laughs> like, like that was kind of like came from like one of my fundamental problems with, with Tomboy, which is, um, I don't know if you've seen it, but there is a, it's, it, there is a scene in which kind of this, uh, the characters, um, I guess trans status. I mean, like, I read it as trans, and I think a lot of people do. Um, It is deliberately kind of vague, but that is something that is revealed in the bath, you know? Mm. It is, like, revealed with, like, a genital reveal Mm. shot, which in terms of the history of, like, trans cinema is, like, something that has a lot of, like, there's a long lineage of that, and it is not positive, Mm. like, at all. Mm. Yeah. and yeah, so but this is great, right? Like this is exactly the the kinds of conversations that that um, that we love to have. Of course, and 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 sinking into that kind of messy, sometimes like you said, messy history, mm-hmm. and, and kind of contextualizing it and making having a greater understanding of it. I, I wonder sometimes when filmmakers um, or writers are approaching. Um, material that is not their own experience. Sometimes there's just this lack of awareness, but there's also sometimes a lack of awareness when it's your own situation and you just don't understand the history and some of the things that that speaks to. Mm. I think that what's really interesting about Gay 24 is that over the, the course of your screening series, you've really provided this kind of valuable education, but you know, I suppose re-education um, in queer politics with a focus on trans visibility, you, you know, you touch upon the AIDS crisis and, and kind of what it means to be a gender outlaw, um, coming out narratives and so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, but what have been some of the responses from audiences, both like either in person or online? Um, really positive. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's one of those things that, I mean, literally, we were just laughing about this before, the the first season of Gay Twenty Four, if you could call it that, it was two screenings, and it was literally called that we the the event was called Sam and Jeannie showed gay films to their mates. I like think I, I think I saw that, and I did not know if that was just a party invite that you accidentally made public, or no. I mean, and this is that, and so like, but it did really start in terms of like a, a party invite that we purposefully made public. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um. So we are constantly kind of blown away at some of the responses mm-hmm. that we get. We are like stoked that people kind of uh, put their trust on us. And, mm-hmm. and often, you know, like some of the stuff we are showing is like, it's either like stuff that is like kind of like left field or, you know, some, like showing like pornography sometimes, right? Like this is like I challenging. I a few R ratings. <laughs> yeah, like this is stuff that is like sometimes challenging to, to watch, yeah. especially in like a group situation and, and, and you do wonder, like, hey, are people going to want to show up to this? Are people going to want to get involved? And 
the overwhelming response has been, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's really uh, incredibly gratifying to see that now when we do screenings, most of the people there we don't know yeah. or we know them because they've come once before, not because they're personal friends of ours at all. Um, that's that is a, that's a huge badge of honour. Yeah, it's really lovely. And you had a really lovely interaction last yeah, night Yeah, you should definitely talk about. <laughs> yeah, it was really, really lovely last night. I was just like sitting sitting on the rooftop at the club, uh, <laughs> having a drink and and talking to this girl that, that I, I had met a couple of times but comes to Gay24. Um, and she was telling us about how she had been asked to do to, to participate in a research project that a friend of hers was doing. And the research project was on... Um, uh, what was it? It was like it was like places like queer queer safe spaces. Was it? It was it, sa- it was safe spaces or, or places of like community gathering mm. and like and the fact that these are really ephemeral and, and what they can look like mm. and the whole you know that this kind of interview was was taking place in that space and and she she brought them to Gay Twenty Four which is just like <laughs> so wild like that 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 somebody yeah I was just so touched by that yeah just like that because that's kind of. That is like exactly what we're trying to do, and it's cool that it's already happening. Yeah, and we should talk about the name. I <laughs> love the name. I did have a few friends when I mentioned that I was going to be talking to the co-curators of Gay Twenty Four. They asked, "Do they just play like gay A Twenty Four films?" And I'm like, "I wish, but I don't. Think, I think they'd run out of things to play because there's not a whole lot in the A Twenty Four catalogue, is there?" Yeah, no. That like most things that Jenny and I do together is a result of us just egging each other yeah. and coming up with like the silliest uh, solution we can find. And that was yeah. No, we were just sitting around in my room trying to come up with a silly name to call our film night. Oh, yeah. it's a wonderful name. Yeah. No, no, it's great. I, I love it. I, I love the logo. I love the name. I, I think. think it was yeah. inspired when we were first thinking of names. Oh, what is the production company? There's a production company called Anus Films. Oh yeah, there's Anus Films. Put out, which is great. I can't remember which film. It was it was Undressed in Blue. They they That's kind right. of they did the production on the on the re-release of um, a film called Dressed in Blue that we watched. Dressed in Blue was sort of the impetus for us putting this night together. And when I saw that logo come up. <laughs> On the screen, I was like, we need a name for our night. How can we find something that's as good as Anus Films? Well, you found it with Gay 24. (laughs) Um, And we should mention, you know, Gay 24, it's not just that you take us through this journey of queer politics. You're also providing audiences with this sort of re-education into cinema and you know, the film, you show films that, like you say, are rare, radical, unseen, which is a c- tremendous contribution to make. Um, I'm wondering how has curating this program and all the other seasons that you've done changed how you see the function of cinema, particularly in queer politics? That's such a good question. Um, it has... It has complicated it for me massively, Mm. Um, especially reflecting on kind of like the ways that a lot of kind of like very mainstream kind of queer film curation happens. Um, We're really starting to see kind of like some of some of the kinds of films that we're playing uh, 
get more of a profile. But traditionally, like there's you know there's been like a a real trend toward like towards like assimilationist politics mm. in terms of in terms of queer art that is kind of held up and and given a really big platform. Um, so I think or that, expose style documentaries like uh, let's yeah. shine a light on this weird. Oh, like, like subculture. subculture. Oh, right, like yeah. exotic animal sort of style. Yeah. Kind exactly. of, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so I think that, but but kind of on the flip side of that, I think when you do start engaging with stuff that was made with a radical intention, right, mm. stuff that is made to specifically to kind of like show show people and, and, and show people people's politics and the way that they live their life and, and do it in a really um, genuine and kind and, and yeah, way. Um, when the kind of the potential that comes from, from engaging with that is just, it, it has a, a huge, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think like um, particularly, I saw this tweet the other day that really made me laugh that was like... Um, it's so important to, when you're, you know, coming out as trans, it's really important to surround yourself with the kind of, like, loving community who will hold you and will tell you things like, if a documentarian contacts you, don't email them back. <laughs> um, and it's nice. And, like, it's funny, but it's also true. Like, there is this real, um, like, I would say, there's a mounting hosti- there is absolutely a mounting hostility towards trans people in um, like the political and public sphere mm-hmm. that's absolutely reflected yeah. in um, and media is being completely weaponized against us uh, I think uh, showing that it can have a different function that it is possible to self-represent mm. um, and that marginal and minor forms of art, uh, don't need to be mainstream or have large platforms to create significant change. Mm. Totally. I think, yeah. you know. The um, right people will find mm. the, the right things, you know. Yeah, like there is this, there is a, you can trust in that. I think that that's really nice. Yeah. And sometimes when you do exist on the margins, when you're creating art, you can actually get away with a lot more that if you were to move into the mainstream, Absolutely. there'd be yeah. a lot more um, restrictions placed on you. But also you just have to deal with a lot of, you know, Wrong crowd. And yeah. and there's something and I love the fact that in your screening series you are actually creating a space not just for you to talk about these films, but for, for people just to enjoy them. You could go to to one of these screenings, just watch the film, you don't need to talk to anyone afterwards. But I love that there is that discussion point because you're hitting you're you kind of focused in on a lot of really heavy topics. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a lot of joy in a lot of these films, so we shouldn't make it sound like a downer. There's 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 both. And I think that is what is the real strength of this whole programming series. Um, which has been going on for amazingly how many how long now is it because you're on your third season uh, uh, it's actually months. only been yeah seven six or seven months yeah. we haven't been programming we started in December of last but year. that's yeah. that is a long think about how long festivals usually go for <laughs> totally. this, is, <laughs> this is very impressive I think you've done a really excellent job we should talk about your next screening mm-hmm. um you've selected this is an address and so pretty I wasn't across either of these films so I'm very excited to see them tell us about why you've um picked these do you want to go all right. <laughs> so one of the things, um, I mean, to be honest, the absolute starting point was that we watched So Pretty Together and 
loved it so much. It's, it's uh, yeah. It's just an absolutely beautiful film by uh, director Jessica Dunn-Rivanelli. Um, it's a feature film that I think uh, depicts, um, I think, like, structurally and in terms of, like, uh, visual direction, there are some really complex things uh, going on with how it depicts people and how it uh, sort of refuses narrative and focuses more on, like, moments and intimacy. Mm. Um, it's, discu- it's sort of spoken about and the director speaks about the film being a sort of utopian uh, film, like, that tries to consider what, you know, queer utopia looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it never does that by sort of trying to imagine a world where oppression or injustice doesn't exist. It looks at how these intimacies create utopias in tension with injustice or in mm. resistance to it, yeah. um, which I think is something that is really, really evident in a lot of the older films and a lot of the archival Definitely. films that we've seen yeah. um, in a different way. Um, it's also visually... Beautiful. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It's um, it is is simply so pretty, mm. <laughs> and we knew we needed to pair it um, when we were pairing it with a short, which we always do. Uh, we knew we needed something that fit tonally mm. um, and spoke to the themes of the film, but we also wanted something that was aesthetically coherent. Yeah, which I think this is an address. Uh, really, is it's a very it's a tough watch. This is an address. Yes, it is. Um, yeah. But it also has this um, real sensitivity, I think, to how it's shot and framed. For context, a lot of this is an address uses um, archival footage taken down at a, a homeless encampment on the wharfs in, in New York, um, talking to Sylvia Rivera and, and, the community of, of people are like HIV positive, homeless queer people that lived in, in kind of lived all together down there. Um, and this kind of footage is, is taken and, and edited and um, yeah, put, put together mm. in, in a way that is, I mean, it is, it is like, there's a real beauty to, to how it's mm. shot. Like it is, there is, it's, it's a very, tonally they do kind of like talk to each other quite well, but Definitely, um, yeah. Well, the third season of Gay 24 started earlier this month and the second program in this season is happening at 7.30pm on Thursday, the 6th of July. This is a free screening series. I'm so glad you've made it free. (laughs) Uh, It is at Longplay, of course, in North Fitzroy. And all Gay 24 screenings are shown with subtitles unless unless otherwise stated, which I also really appreciate. Um, Just a note that there will be bright flashing lights in both of the films for the screening on the... 7th of July and that may affect viewers who are susceptible to photosensitive epilepsy. Uh, Sam and Jeannie, thank you so much for joining me. Thank it's been you a pleasure. For having us. Thank you for having us. Uh, and you can keep up to date with all of the Gay24 screenings via their Instagram account at Gay24Films. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organization in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au.
On tonight's show, we're spotlighting and celebrating queer screen culture. Earlier tonight, uh, I spoke with Sam Eckhart and Jeannie Maxwell, the co-curators of Gay24, which is a screening series that highlights rare, radical and underseen queer films at Long Play in Fitzroy North. The third season uh, started earlier this month and the second program uh, is happening at 7.30pm on Thursday the 6th of July. Uh, it is free and there are, all of the screenings are shown with subtitles unless it's otherwise stated. Uh, you can keep up to date via Gay24's Instagram at Gay24Films. Uh, and just prior, you would have heard All Tomorrow's Parties, The Velvet Underground and Nico. Uh, that song features in Lawyer, Laura Poitras's documentary All the Beauty and the Bloodshed about artist and activist Nan Golding. Uh, it was described by the Queer Screen Film Festival as an electrifying portrait of portrait of the life and career of bisexual artist Nan Golden and her fight against billionaire Sackler family. There is so much in this documentary, and I'm going to play you a little clip for it now. Photography is like a flash of euphoria. And gave me a voice. Once I started sharing the work, it was really heavy resistance, especially from male artists and gallerists who said, This isn't photography. Nobody photographs their own life. Dance, dance, dance. The photographer Nan Golden, she's a major name in the art world. The work was incredibly political. It was about power, and particularly about the power that men have over women and how that power is translated up in society. 100,000 dead! 100,000 dead! <laughs> All the Beauty and the Bloodshed is directed by Laura Poitras. Uh, listeners will have likely heard of her early docu- uh, doco, uh, Citizen Four, which is the final film in a, a three-part uh, film series uh, that investigates the war on terror um, and it kind of looks at how the war on terror uses surveillance and covert activities and attacks on whistleblowers. It's kind of interesting that Poitras has, has shifted to Nan Golding, but I think watching All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, it does sort of fit fall into place. And I've listened to a few interviews with her. Stephen, what were your thoughts on that intersection? Were you surprised that Poitras was involved with this doco? Well, maybe, I think probably initially, but I guess what it really boils down to is fight the system, right? Because yeah. what I love about this documentary, right, I knew Nan's art and... and, and, and you get, you know, you get a really good overview of her career. Yeah. There's some beautiful archival photography in here as well. And then you get this great sense of her personal life. So, you know, it works on that level as a very intimate documentary about an incredible artist and queer force, you know, creative force. But then you've got this whole other side that I had no idea about, right? So... We all know, you know, it's sort of like shorthand, the opioid crisis in the US, right? We all know that it's big pharma evil. Mm. But what I did not know is that there was this, you know, huge philanthropic, uh, rich, you know, mega rich family. Yeah. That had basically created the opioid crisis. And, you know, yeah. it's it's just staggering. And, and then you get this, you know, kind of... 
force of 70s, you know, power, you know, living in squats and like, you know, Chelsea. And then she take she takes on, you know, the Met. She takes on the Guggenheim. She takes on the Louvre. Yeah. And says, stop and, taking and money from me. I know it's spoiler, yeah. but yeah. Oh, well, in terms of like some <laughs> no, so, not completely wins, we should clarify. But you know, like She's yeah. effective, and I think that it's so fascinating, isn't it? Because I I'm very familiar with Poitras's work as a documentarian. Mm. I find her fascinating. Uh, she also did a, another doco on uh, Julian Assange, yeah. uh, Risk. So it, it, she kind of occupies that space, and then to come into this territory, and it, yeah, you're right. What it what this documentary makes you realise is Nan Golden has this has this other whole project that she's working on that is so fascinating and. And it's kind of the documentary does an amazing job of of kind of covering both. It, yeah. It's not just one thing, and I don't think it's to the detriment that it covers all these different aspects. It's actually all entangled. This idea of not um, realizing that something that you've been told is not the truth, and she gets that uh, within her family life. She gets that when she is um, coming out and and exploring her sexuality, and then years later, decades later, when she is. Um, struggling with an opioid addiction, she realises, yeah, Big Pharma is also lying lying to us. Yeah, I mean, it really, and it's it's a really, I mean, obviously she has a certain position, but it's a salient reminder that we all have power. Mm. I think, you know, that a lot of these documentaries' common theme is it's one person changes everything and, mm. and, and they don't have to be famous. Maybe Nan's the most famous of them, arguably, but... Yeah, it's a, it was, it's so empowering this documentary. I oh, it's think it's tremendous. Yeah, and Sal, I mean, there is so many characters in this film, but we've got to talk about Cookie. <laughs> uh, I think um, I was I had like coming at this doco before we we get to the wonderful Cookie. Um, I had a really similar experience to Stephen, where it's like I know Nan's work. Uh, really quite well, but I I didn't know anything about her activism. Mm. So when the film opened and it was, you know, a scene of her her activism, I was really not taken aback, but I was like, oh, okay, well, where is this kind of taking us? And there is so much that is covered in this documentary. I think it runs for just over two hours. And it's paced really beautifully where... There is so much covered. Like mm. we have things like, um, you know, you know, her early work, her, you know, addiction, mm. things about harm reduction, um, you know, queer underground, but it never feels rushed. It's paced no. so, so beautifully. And you're right. That's a lovely way to phrase it because I feel as though there are pauses in this film mm. that you need as the viewer. There is a lot of heavy discussions and, and – I feel like – Every kind of heavy discussion mm. you could have is in this film. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. Like, absolutely. We, yeah, we should, I suppose, for listeners, the film documents, um, you know, it, it, Nan as a, um, uh, an artist, she documented, you know, LGBTQI plus subcultures, also the HIV AIDS crisis. Um, but she was also, like we said, she founded the advocacy group PAIN, which stands for Prescription Addiction Intervention Now. Um, so it covers a lot of ground, yep. and she also yeah. goes into her own family history, mental health, mental and health, the evolution of how, how yeah. domestic violence, domestic yep. violence. There is a lot yep. in this. Um, mm-hmm. We talk about content advice. There is a lot in this film. Mm-hmm. I it's... was very moved by it, but I was also found it 
Um, not a difficult watch. I think that's the wrong way to it's phrase it. It's handled very I, tenderly. Yes. Yeah. And it really I think, is. And yeah. there's hope in there. Everything's couched Definitely. in hope and art and creativity. And yeah. And I think what you were saying before, Stephen, about the, the power of one person to really change it. And, of course, it's not just one person like when she was – taking photos you know she was part of that community and like here even with the network that she these of these activists there's there's so much strength in their numbers as she well has that queer elder energy yeah, you know you see totally. it with the young peers she and you're like they're gonna be does. okay <laughs> yeah and the doco it's kind of structured over these seven chapters and each one has this photographic sequence of the start it has some archival footage um of a period in in golden's life and it also has footage of her protests at a lot of these major art galleries um and the archival photographs are, are really beautiful in in kind of being so reminiscent of like it captures so golden's work like yeah I, that was yeah one thing that i really want to comment on especially with um her photography, I guess, of Cookie Mueller. Um, to give some context to people who might not know who Cookie Mueller is, she was, I guess, famous for being in John Waters films, um, but she was also an incredible writer and just an incredible, incredible writer. I think uh, some of her work has been um, re-released recently, so you can pick up her work, but it's she's amazing. And I think if we think about New York in the 1970s, we think about these artists and it's really easy to kind of romanticise it and go, oh, gee, so much great art was coming out of New York then and all this was happening and, you know, like Nan Golden was there, Cookie Mueller was there, but they were really struggling. Like yeah. it was, And, you know, it was really, really mm. difficult. Yeah. So Nan's photography coupled with, like, Cookie's words is just this really beautiful snapshot we have of these artists that, have their work has gone on to become this real historical importance and this film shows that so yeah it it is a really beautiful snapshot of New York at that time Mm. and I love the fact that there is a you get a sense there's a there's a it touches upon a lot of things, but it does so in a way that it gets straight to the heart of, yep. of what connects each of these things. And at the core of it is to do with justice and whether Absolutely. these bodies that have often and people's lives that have often been marginalised, have been abused um, during the AIDS crisis, just not seen as worth saving. And then the fact that she then years later is involved with, while, you know, the AIDS crisis, she talks about many of her friends who are still dying in the, you know, 2000s and 2014. The way in which that um, project, art project on, on, for survivors and they've got artwork and everything like that that's connected up with that crisis and the outcry about it, I thought was so fascinating. I actually didn't know that she curated that. Oh really? Yeah, I was. I I didn't know that um, Nan had curated that particular exhibition. Whereas there's so many important. She works brings in that. so much yeah. together. She's yeah. a real like connector mm-hmm. in in Absolutely. sense and having this real sense of the bigger picture. And I suppose maybe that's what photography often is about. It's being able to see that and to pay witness, play witness to it, but also to to capture the essence. And she does it so well. And I think that's that's a really important point you bring up, Felicity, particularly in queer history because we've been so often marginalised or obscured. Photography is one of those golden troves where people created their own archives where Mm. you can. We're so lucky now when people are beginning to pull this stuff together and put them into exhibitions that we can see all these 
pieces of the of the, the you know the the, the quilt would, that were covered up and 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 I love that you point out you know Nan's continuation because when you look at how she's using art as protest now mm. you can one hundred percent see the DNA of you know groups like ACT UP mm. from the HIV you know AIDS crisis and how community came together and, and mm. fought back against forces who who were you know not helping as they should. So yeah, it, it just really it, it, I'd struggle to think of a documentary that brings so much together in such a cohesive, yeah, you know, I, I celebratory think that's way. Really, the strength. Well, there's so many strengths of this documentary, but I came, I, I watched it today, and came away from it just being like, oh my god, that just it just really encompasses so much, but mm. in such a smooth way where it, it really. It shouldn't work the way that it does, but it it, it works really beautifully. Well, it's it is a remarkable documentary. I think we're all on pretty similar page with all the beauty and the bloodshed. It is tremendous. I think something to to uh, stuck with me was the fact that her attraction to photography seems to come from a truth telling perspective yeah. of wanting to say this is how it was because with photographic evidence you could really capture it. There couldn't memories wouldn't be able you could go back and look at it and say I it really that. was like that yeah, yeah that kind of opening monologue where she's talking about memory and photography and mm. how those two kind of intertwine yeah. i thought that was really really beautiful yeah, I really and, like es- that and especially when you think about her family history where she's been told something and said, no, 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 how you remember it is wrong. I just think there's so much to unpack in this beautiful documentary. I think it will – it's already played at a lot of festivals. I'm sure it's going to play um, – it's going to – well, it's currently in cinemas. A lot of people will have likely seen it. But if you haven't seen it, uh, you've got a few more days in the cinema and then it's going to be on Doc Play from Thursday. Uh, highly recommend checking it out. You are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Tonight, look, it's a bit of a spotlight on queer cinema. Um, We spoke with Jeannie and Sam from Gay24 at the start of the show. We just reviewed the beautiful, uh, all the beauty and the bloodshed, uh, wonderful documentary that is currently streaming in cinemas, but um, playing in cinemas, but will be streaming on Doc Doc Play on Thursday. Uh, But we did promise some recommendations. So, Sal, what have you got for us? Um... One of the things that I've really enjoyed watching over this Pride Month was the uh, series adaptation of Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire. I knew that this would be up your alley. Look, any <laughs> so excuse to talk about Interview with the Vampire, I'm, I am so there. Um, look, I love Neil Jordan's film. I think it's a perfect film. I, It's incredible. So I, uh, I don't know that I was that hesitant going into this, but... Um, you know, I had I had my concerns. Anne Rice, before she passed away, was really involved in this series. I think she's an executive producer in it. Um, but it's currently streaming on iView and it is so much fun. It gives Louis and Lestat that queer story arc that we've desperately been wanting to see on screen for so many so years Actually, in such like a horny way it's so <laughs> so great there are Sal, s- i've got to ask is there a lot of fanfic for um interview with a vampire because i imagine there would uh, be there would be <laughs> not be. that i'm aware of but there's okay. gotta be I may have there there is you may be. have okay <laughs> there has to be but this really goes there and i think i think there's um Eight episodes? I could be wrong. Oh, gosh, I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember either. So it's just the one season for now. Yeah, it's just the one season. And 
I think we really get to go into that relationship in a way that we don't have the ability to in the film. We don't have, Mm. you know, just the, the time allowance to do that. And there's some really sort of clever ways that Interview with the Vampire has been updated for the series where it's a um, secondary interview. It's not the interview that we have seen initially in the original novel or the original film. Uh, And it's, yeah, this show is so much fun. It's super, super queer. It's incredible. And I think if you're a fan of any of Anne Rice's work that you will love this. It's, yeah, been just done brilliantly. I love that ABC has picked it up as yeah. well. Like, it's so good. Yeah. Love when things really are recently. freely accessible, yep. um, especially when they're really good quality, you know, TV shows and yeah, they're, they're good with curation. And you might think as well that it would be a tough act to follow up on Tom Cruise <laughs> and Brad Pitt. Because they're perfect in it. But Australian actor Sam Reid as Lestat is Unbelievable. What People might know seen? from Lambs of God. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, really cool. He's, he's done a few cracking things, but he's on. He's very much at the start of his career and on, yeah. on, a, on a stratospheric curve. And he is incredible as Lestat. So I was watching some sort of behind-the-scenes footage and these co-stars saying, do the Lestat walk, do the Lestat walk. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, okay, I can transform my whole body into this. Like, yeah, he's amazing in it. And if you love Game of Thrones, um, Grey Worm, uh, gosh, what's his actual name? <laughs> no, can't see it. It's in front of no, me No, I'm somewhere. just going to say Game of Thrones, uh, Grey Worm. <laughs> look, I can't remember his real name. This is bad. Okay, Jacob Anderson is absolutely amazing as Louis. But yeah, Grey Worm from Game of Thrones. <laughs> now, Stephen, we mentioned at the start of the show that you are fresh from Sydney Film Festival. I'm sure you saw like a million films and I'm hoping that many of these films are going to come to MIF as well. So us uh, here in Melbourne get a chance to watch them. But did you have some some picks from from the festival you want to share? Look, there were so many incredible films, but you know, I wanted to keep in the theme yeah, of the Pride Month finale, yeah. and um, you know, pick out maybe if we've probably only got time for one, but I'm going to pick out one of my absolute favourites from Sydney Film Festival, which I hope will come to MIF. The program gets released, I think. Well, just put in. We'll just July do a live to air sort of request. I'm exactly. Sure. It hasn't been finalised I mean, you know, yet. It, it hasn't. <laughs> so we're just waiting to find out, MIF. You can uh, yeah or nay. This is Blue Jean. Now, I'm probably a little bit biased here, Flick, because this is set very much during the era that I grew up in Britain. So it's it's Thatcher era, 80s. You know, you've got your New Order, your Pet Shop Boys, all that kind of vibe. You know, obviously the, you know, HIV AIDS crisis has broken and Prime Minister Boo Thatcher at the Mm. time had solidified what was called Section 28. So this basically was a decree from government that, you know, no public school or council can promote homosexuality. So basically any any kind of reference to it even existing was considered beyond the pale. And so what this absolutely incredible debut from um, English writer-director Georgia Oakley does is it casts the alienist actor Rosie McEwen as a kind of basically bowie-cropped, bleach-blonde PE teacher who is closeted and very much so, right? I mean, mm. I mean, you can you can always ask how how much a cropped blonde, you know, <laughs> PE teacher is 
Not, not a few nudge nudge winks, but you know she's technically in the closet. A brilliant actor, uh, Kerry Hayes, plays her kind of shaven-headed biker jacket wearing, very much not closeted lesbian girlfriend, and there's that kind of wonderful relationship dynamic of what the pressures that puts on when someone's forced to be in the closet Mm. for their own livelihood and Mm. then someone who's out there kind of in groups like act up you know on the streets protesting against Thatcher and how how that puts a strain on their Mm. relationship and how identity works and then to, to kind of further expand upon this really intriguing setup you've then got a young Scottish newcomer Lucy Holiday plays a, a kind of emerging young queer lesbian who comes to the school and is then getting bullied because of her fairly obvious identity so it's just this mm. really beautiful film if you ever, if you saw the the French film BPM yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's got solid. that kind of yeah. you know that electric vibe mm. of of yeah, there was a lot of horrendous stuff going on, but there was also this fierce pushback mm. from the community that we're not going to be silenced. Mm. And this film is just it, it, for it's it's in in some ways it's a small film, but almost like the Nan Golden Doco, there's a lot going on in yeah. there, and it's just beautifully packaged. Like it's a gorgeous to look at, it has a cracking soundtrack, mm. but it's very much focused on these performances. And that's Blue Jean, and I really do hope we. Yeah, I'm sure it's coming out later anyway this year. But um, I feel like with um, so many of the films that do screen at earlier festivals, I know there's often the exclusives, and it's difficult to. But they come out somehow. You know, there's that word of mouth can be such a powerful thing, especially for those sorts of stories where there is. You know, we've got queer film festival coming up. um, The wonderful Cerise Howard. Oh my gosh! We were just saying (laughs) before how excited we are to see talk about you know. Hurry up and announce that one yes. already. Yeah, yeah we we're just screaming about how excited we are that Cerise is. So, you know, um, we're, just, we're just bully Cerise into playing. Yeah, definitely. Films. Cerise, you're now playing Blue Jean with the <laughs> But no, I'm, I'm actually really thrilled that tonight has turned into such a queer screen culture focused episode. I feel like there are so many films and TV shows to catch up on. And I'm sure over Pride Month, a lot of us have, have seen a lot. Um, but it's great just to get a sort of if you missed a few things. I highly recommend all the Beauty and the Bloodshed, one of so the best good. docos I've seen in a long time. Yeah, absolutely, I, I um, that too. Like a, it was, yeah, yeah. I, I, I love stuff. a good doco, and yeah, this definitely was the best I've seen in a very, very long yeah. time. Yeah, and, and just I, beautiful to look at. Too. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. And I think that um, my recommendation is is actually to to check out that Gay Twenty Four screening series. It is remarkable what Sam and Jeannie have done. They are so dedicated with. Um, their Instagram account just it's so detailed and really helps to contextualize those films and like they said it's they're sometimes playing some pretty dense films yep. um it's a messy uh, politics to wade through often and they do it with so much skill and openness and intimacy and I think it's yeah if you don't know about Gay 24 films I hope tonight's show and interview has, has kind of given you a bit of insight into that um, but yeah Blue Jean yeah, an interview with a vampire on ABC iView. Yep. You have been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Stephen A. Russell and myself Flick Ford on tonight's show uh, we spoke with the two 
two curators, Sam Eckhart and Jeannie Maxwell of Gay24, a screening series that highlights rare, radical and underseen queer films at Longplay in Fitzroy North. Uh, you can head to their Instagram at Gay24Films uh, to keep a track of all the screenings and, and read up about what they've got planned for the 7th of July. Uh, and we reviewed All the Beauty and the Bloodshed um, by award-winning director Laura Poitras about artist and activist Nan Golden and her personal fight to hold the Sackler family accountable for the opioid crisis. It is currently in cinemas and will be streaming on Docplay from Thursday. And we finished up with some recommendations. Uh, Blue Jean, director by Georgia Oakley. Thank you. And Interview with a Vampire, which is currently on ABC iView. Um, thank you to uh, Sam and Jeannie for joining me earlier tonight. And Stephen and Sal, it's been a pleasure mm, having you back really on. Nice. So good. <laughs> let's you. do this again. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's, yeah, I'm sure we're going to have lots more to discuss when uh, we've got Miff on the cards. We've got lots more. Uh, well, there's a Plenty whole heap of festivals. Never <laughs> I know, it really doesn't. <laughs> Uh, I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode. Uh, you can always listen back via uh, rrr.org.au or you can subscribe to the, triple, uh, the Primal Screen podcast. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 